Yes, Venture, it's great to see you today, whether you're in the room or some of you are joining us online, we're grateful to have you with us as well. You know, this might be one of the few times in my life I, I wish I wasn't a dude. I want to join that uh, video, the If Gathering. If you're a lady, uh, you got, you're going to want to be a part of that, sign up for that, be a part of that. We hosted it last year. It was outstanding. I caught just a bit of it as my wife Dawn was a part of gearing up for it. I heard some of the talks and saw some of the talks. I stood in the back of the room for part of the morning, and oh my goodness, it's good. Don't miss out on that opportunity. Hey, we're marching through the book of Nehemiah in this rebuilding series. And I'll tell you what, your preacher got up this morning ready to preach. You've been praying for me as I've been getting over COVID, and I just feel so much better today. And I have so much been enjoying this study. We're going to continue marching through that today. If you've got your Bible with you, open it up right now. If you brought that with you, I'm in Nehemiah chapter 2. You're going to want to open it up to about verse 11 is where we're going to start. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, if you want to reach, if you don't have a Bible with you or an app on your phone, that seat in front of you, if you reach underneath that, there's a Bible there. You can go to page 477 in that Bible, page 477. Last week, last week we talked about a strategic plan. Nehemiah had a strategic plan. Venture has a strategic plan. We talked about, you heard Jake say it a bit ago, about our mission, vision, values. I want to give you an update. When we launched Mission Vision Values last August as a church, we were trying to live out our mission as a church. Here at Venture, we want to be real people, loving courageously, sharing generously, and of course, speaking truthfully. That whole sharing generously thing, you all did that in a big way. I want to give you an update on what your generosity is still in the process of producing. Check this out. Dr. Esley Fuentes, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Pastor Sam. Okay, so let's catch up. Some of our folks know this because they're deeply invested in this project, but uh, we launched a Mission, Vision, and Values series back in August of last year. I had just been out to visit you, and we preached a sermon on location about the great work that you're doing there. You cast vision. You're, you've got this um, hospital building that's being built in a location that desperately needs it. And you said, hey, we need X number of dollars to complete the roof on this hospital. And our church shared generously when they learned of that opportunity. Uh, not $35,000 was raised, but $39,911. And we sent you that check. You ordered up some pumper trucks and concrete and all that. So catch us up. How's it going? Right now, we've been, we finished about 35%. That was about two weeks ago. And we just poured in another section of the roof. And right now we're expected to pour another section this week. And that should put us about, about 50% done of the roof. And I'm really grateful for Venture to come in stepping up and also with another uh, donation that we had that was matching donation. So we've been able to keep up the, go the work going and we're expected to be done by the end of March. It, it is just a dream come true to see every step of the way and how God has been able to use different people from all around the world. And this is a great example of Venture Christian Church that just came through and say, here, uh, God has called us to help you out. And, and you guys shared the mission with me and we weren't able to get this, this, this important step of the project done. Dr. Esley, thank you very much. We appreciate you. Thank you for everybody you guys have been doing around the world and continue the good work. Yeah, you too, you too, my friend. 
Yeah, Dr. Esli Fuentes, medical missionary in La Biznaga, Mexico. Can we just take a minute and just say, yay, God? I don't know if you caught that, but uh, end of March is their projected timeline. They can make that happen quickly down there. I'm excited about that progress. Hey, have you ever been to a place, maybe you haven't been there for a while, and on that trip, as you're walking around, you kind of lose yourself in a trip down memory lane. I did that recently. My kids had to endure this a few weeks ago. Between Christmas and New Year's, my father-in-law rented a cabin, a uh, house, actually, on Bell Hill. Bell Hill in Cobden, Illinois. I mapped it. I have an app that does this. It was like 456 yards from where I was laying in my bed there to my childhood home. We lived there uh, from, oh, about the uh, blizzard of 1978. That's been being talked about here this last week, right? From then until uh, the end of my fifth grade year. So kindergarten through fifth grade, we lived in Cobden. And I have not had occasion to go back very often. Uh, we moved away. We were down there because my dad was doing uh, his, his uh, Ph.D. work at the at, uh, uh, University of Southern Illinois, SIU Carbondale. And uh, when we moved away, we didn't have any family anchoring us down there, and so we were rarely back. I bet I've only been back to that space maybe five or six times since when I was in fifth grade. So each morning I would get up, and I would take a walk down memory lane. My kids were tired of hearing stories. Ah, that's where I learned to spell stop uh, at that stop sign. And this is where I did this. And this they were sick of hearing those stories. One morning I got up early and I was kind of lurking around the schoolyard, elementary, middle school, high school. This is in between their break, right? I think I caught, caught on a camera somewhere. The superintendent of schools was in there doing some work and he came walking out and said, hey, can I help you? And I said, uh, yeah, man, I'm an alumni. Well, actually, not really. I didn't graduate from here. I came here through fifth grade and I'm just kind of walking around and remembering stuff. He said, hey, you want to come inside? It was awesome. I got to walk through my elementary school. I got to walk through the high school space where the big kids hung out, the cool kids hung out, including the uh, adjacent gymnasium. Let me show you a picture of this gymnasium. Maybe uh, if you're into high school basketball, you might know that the Cobden Apple Knockers, this is akin to the Hoosiers story here in Indiana. In 1964, defying all the odds, the Cobden Apple Knockers, this small, tiny school, I think Illinois went from the class system, like they went to, a, you have to be in a class system in 1972. So before that, they made it all the way to the big dance against like the big Chicago schools. And this space in southern Illinois, this was a big deal to them. As a kid, I grew up in this gymnasium learning to shoot hoops, hearing the stories of glory from 1964. The superintendent told me, we're tearing the gym down. Yeah. He said, we have to. Uh, it's like been condemned. It's not safe anymore. And I'm walking around looking at the supporting structures. And I'm just, it was a trip down memory lane. And then he said this. He said, you know what? Actually, we had to redo this floor a few years ago. I've got some of the original floor stacked up back in the back. And much to Don's chagrin, <laughs> he said, would you want some of that? Yes. So I've got a stack of basketball flooring. I have no idea yet what I'm going to do with, but I'm going to do something, by golly, with this. I love it. 
a trip down memory lane. I did a similar trip with my dad and my two brothers oh, four years ago. My dad's brother, my uncle Sonny, died. Dad grew up in Muskogee, Oklahoma. We're down there for the funeral. Here we are around my grandma and grandpa's grave. By the way, this uh, is a, 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 a tree branch that was near my grandparents' grave, and I snagged that while we were down there, sliced it up, made a picture frame out of it, framed that, gave that to my dad that year for Christmas. Loved that. I loved more that day. We took a trip down memory lane. I grew up hearing stories as a kid about being an Oki from Muskogee. Here he is standing on the front steps of my great-grandparents' house, and he's telling stories. I caught him in this picture kind of mid-story, telling stories about his childhood and these meaningful people in his life. Here's the big idea that we're wrestling with today, that we're going to grab from the book of Nehemiah. A personal commitment yields a legacy later. Do you think about your legacy? Do you think about the stories that you're leaving behind, what people are going to talk about you after you're long and gone? We're going to wrestle with some of those themes today. The book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had grown up hearing stories, incredible things that had been done in Jerusalem. He had never been back. He hadn't had the experience like I went back to my childhood home, like we're going back to here. I had been to Muskogee as a kid, but it was so fun to hear my dad tell those stories. Nehemiah had not been back to Jerusalem. He was born, we believe, in uh, Babylon, and he had just grown up hearing stories about Jerusalem. He grew up hearing stories about King David and his mighty men. He heard stories like when David Shortly after he became king, he saw Jerusalem and said, I want that as my capital city. And so he sent his mighty men. This, this is like a, a, a perfect story. It's like a movie. They should make a movie about this. He sent his mighty men up through a water shaft because Jerusalem already was owned by a group of people, the Jebusites. It was actually called Jebus at that point. And he sent them up through this water shaft, and they captured the city, and King David made it his capital. He grew up hearing stories, Nehemiah, about, oh, like Solomon. There was blood on David's hands, and so God said, I don't want you to build my temple, this place of worship, but Solomon can do it. And the wisest man who ever lived, Nehemiah grew up hearing those stories. He grew up hearing stories about people like King Hezekiah, who, like, standing against the odds when the Assyrians were coming with their armies, and he built Jerusalem up for siege warfare. He built a tunnel bring water from the Gihon Springs inside to the pool of Siloam, the king's pool. Nehemiah grew up hearing those stories. He grew up hearing stories like, like Jeremiah. We talked about Jeremiah last week. Just, oh, a little while, a generation or two before Nehemiah. We looked at this passage last week where Jeremiah is preaching to the people of Israel, you better turn or God's going to burn. You better come back to God or God's going to allow this invading army to come in and wipe us out. This is what it says, Jeremiah chapter 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah is casting vision there. A lot of times we stop at that verse and we say, well, that's enough. We seek Jesus and we see you. We talked about this last week, that we want to be lifelong seekers of Jesus. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, there's our language, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart, and my, I might add your whole life long. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I've carried you into exile. Jeremiah is living out 
the fulfillment of this prophecy. Here's the big idea we said. It's a personal commitment. Yields a legacy later. Here's the question we're wrestling with. What will you be known for? In other words, what will your legacy be? Nehemiah's was rebuilding. Rebuilding Jerusalem after destruction. Again, open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. Last week we talked about Nehemiah had a strategic plan. He's just made the ark, the journey of the Fertile Crescent from the citadel of Susa in Babylon. Now he's in Jerusalem. Let's pick up the story here, verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. He's kind of holding this close to the vest. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. You catch the picture here? He's on a horse. Everybody else is walking. Now, I want to keep reading the text, but I want to put up a line drawing map of the old city of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. And uh, if you can see there close enough, you see the verses attached to when these specific gates were rebuilt. He leaves the city that night, and you can kind of picture this as we read along together here. He leaves out through the valley gate. Let's keep reading. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. Can we pause there just for a minute and giggle at the silliness of that name, the dung gate? It's named that for exactly the reason why you think it's named that. The city slopes this direction. That's the way the refuge leaves the city. That's the way the dirty stuff leaves the city, including the leftover stuff from the temple mount. Like after they do animal sacrifice, it leaves through the dung gate. Actually, I've got another uh, uh, line drawing here. This is more of a topographical map. You'll notice that this right here, if we could overlay the map, this is the old city of Jerusalem right here. This is the walls that were built, oh, about 500 years ago. But this is the city in Nehemiah's day. You'll notice that there's a bit of a slope going on there. It's the perfect space to defend against invading armies. That's why David wanted it as his capital city. But you'll notice there's a valley system. There's basically three valleys that come down through here. You've got the Kidron Valley. That's talked about in Jesus' day. It's actually referenced even all the way back in the book of Genesis. Abraham interacts with the Kidron Valley. There's the Valley of Hinnom in Jesus' day, the Valley of Gehenna. And then there's a central valley system that runs through here, through that side of the city of David. Let's go back to our map and let's keep reading. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on toward the fountain gate. Here we go. He's rounding the corner, headed back north. And the king's pool, also known as the Pool of Siloam. The king's pool is probably named after King Hezekiah, who was bringing water during siege warfare from the Gihon Springs outside the city into the city. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall, the Kidron Valley. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gates. He goes back down around the point and back in. Let's keep reading. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or to any others who would be doing the work. Mums the word. Then I said to them, 
You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Then I love this. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. We have permission to do this. Let's get about the business. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. It's time. We've planned long enough. We've prayed up until this point. It's time to start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I love that. It's time. I want to share with you today real quick five legacy coaching pointers. If you want to leave a legacy for God in the theme of basketball, in a basketball court, here's some coaching pointers. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. We pull all these straight out of the text. What you do for God gets noticed. What you do for God gets noticed by people, but more than that, by God. We're going to kind of skip through chapter 3 here, and I'm going to highlight a few of the individuals that are named, get this, by name in Scripture. Can you imagine what an honor it would be for your name to end up in God's holy word? What you do for God gets noticed. We read about some of these folks. If you want to skip ahead now to verse 1 of chapter 3 in Nehemiah, let me see how bad Stan can mispronounce some of these Old Testament names. Eliashib. Okay, we're off to a decent start. The high priest. This would have been like the top poopa of the day, right? This would have been like they don't have a king anymore, but he would have been in a position of authority and recognized and respected. And he's leading by example here. And his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They're mentioned by name in Scripture, noticed by God. They de dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred. And then they keep going, which they, after they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. They're working, if you remember that map, from the top kind of around this direction. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to him. What you do for God gets noticed. This past Sunday night, we do a thing here called Connection Point. If you are fairly new to our church, we'd love to have you join us with that at some point. We kind of walk for three weeks through an experience, get to know you, get you connected, get you plugged in. At the end of it, we host a meal at my house. And about 10 of us are sitting around my dining room table, had a great time together last Sunday night. I had been smoking meat since the night before. I put them on the smoker, and you didn't know this, but last week while I was preaching, I kept pulling out my phone. I've got an app that tracks the progress, and I'm like dialing up the temperature and dialing down the temperature. Well, finally, it's time to eat. We're sitting down around my dinner table last Sunday night, and I'm hearing cool stories of how they're getting connected around here. We're kind of talking to each other and getting into a small group, and great conversations happening. And in the middle of that, one of the gals around the table that night, her name is Gail, and we have some connection with a church that I served, my first church I served in Illinois. And we talked a little bit about a couple named Willis and Della May Fromm. This is an older couple in that church, and I'll never forget when I learned when they disappeared as snowbirds in the wintertime, the first time they did that and they came back and I started hearing stories, what they do is they load up their camper and they go, there's a whole series of missionaries in southern parts of the United States. And Willis fixes stuff for them. And Della May, she was probably leading stuff. She was a take-charge kind of a gal. And as we were comparing notes and talking about this couple, I was just remembering, oh, my goodness, what they did for God got noticed. I remember that even, it's been like 20 years ago since those conversations. 
Second, legacy, coaching, pointer. What you don't do also gets noticed. What you don't do. Uh, Nehemiah chapter uh, 3, verse 5. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. We don't know exactly what this means. We think there's probably some political dynamics at play. So you can imagine, Nehemiah is coming back after having been gone for a while, and there's kind of a new sheriff in town, and he's got the authority of the king behind him. And I bet he heard a few times, well, this is not how we do things around here. We think that might be some of the dynamic that's going on there. But notice, they get mentioned in Scripture, and there's a bit of a negative connotation to this. What you don't do for God gets noticed as well. Third, coaching, pointer. You don't need to be a rock star to leave a legacy. God likes to use the willing. There's a servant leadership culture inside of God's kingdom and inside of his church. No rock stars need apply. You don't have to be a rock star to leave a legacy. Well, God will use anyone who's willing. We see this here in the next little bit of the text. Uziel, son of Hara, I don't know how to pronounce his name, one of the goldsmiths. It's like a jeweler. He's not a builder. He doesn't have degrees behind his name on how to build things. He's a goldsmith. Repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers. God will use anybody if they're willing. Made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Remember, if you remember a few weeks ago at the beginning of this series, I showed you a picture of the broad wall. It still exists to this day. In the early 70s in Jerusalem, they uncovered the broad wall. This is just one of the thousands of things that point back to the authenticity of Scripture. We actually have the broad wall in, a broad wall in some places surviving today. Let's keep reading and finish this out. Rephiah, son of her, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, this would be like a city alderman, repaired the next section. You don't have to be a rock star to leave a legacy. God will use anybody who's willing. Fourth, legacy coaching pointer. Trivial variables like age or gender should not limit legacy. Let's keep reading verse 12. Shalom. Son of, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, again like a city alderman, repaired the next section with the help, I love this, of his daughters. You saw a picture of the broad wall. You saw this as picking up big old boulders and carrying them and setting them in place. The girls didn't miss out on the fun either. Things like age and gender should not limit legacy. His daughters roll up their sleeves and they're involved in the work as well. Things like age and gender. When I was a young man, when I was a youth pastor, my life verse I would tell anybody was 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, which says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. That's a great verse for a youth pastor coaching kids. I got a little bit older, I would tell you now that my life verse is Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. I actually do love that verse. I have it up next to me in my office to remind me that I have a purpose God wants to use me for in this generation to serve him today and don't miss out on the opportunities today. This past week, I got an email 
from a couple of young gals in our church, a seventh grader and an eighth grade uh, girl, Maddie Henley and Ainsley McGregor. And I loved this email. I want to share this with you. This came to our church staff, several of us. It informed a great conversation we had with our lead team meeting on Wednesday. Listen to the way they lead in this email. Good morning, venture staff and leadership. Our names are Maddie Henley, 8th grade, and Ainsley McGregor, 7th grade, from Venture Students. Then they open with a great quote. They say, 11 a.m. Sunday is one of our most segregated hours. Quoting Martin Luther King, Jr. This quote from Martin Luther King, Jr., more than 60 years ago, reminds us that we've made progress in racial equality, but we have a ways to go. And then they include a YouTube link, so I can click on that and watch the speech if I want to check it out. And then they share another story. Have you ever heard of Phyllis Wheatley? Well, we hadn't either, but listen to this. Phyllis Wheatley was born in Gambia, West Africa, and was enslaved and brought to America at age seven. And then they talk about the contribution that she makes, pushing forward the cause of Christ at her time. But have we really come far enough between then and now? Is there still some things our church could be doing to recognize racial inequality? Again, seventh grader, eighth grader, leading I love this. Last night, she says, Maddie and I were discussing how Black History Month, which kicked off February 1st, is this month, February. We're talking about how important it is to honor and show appreciation to the many African-American people who've made a mark on history, whether it be past, present, or even future. And then this paragraph, this one got me. Most churches around us are predominantly white, which is fine, but how awesome would it be for Christ to seek out toward all races? They're dead on. We read in the book of Revelation what God's heaven looks like. Multi-ethnic. Oh my goodness, every tribe, language, and nation is represented in God's heaven. They say Christianity is not a color, ethnicity, or race. In fact, Jesus wasn't even white. Providing our church community with all different races, skin colors, ethnicity, and cultures could build our church and provide diversity at venture. Imagine how big Jesus would be smiling as he sees a huge sanctuary filled with hundreds of people of different race, ethnicity, culture, and origin worshiping the same God all together. United as one church, one community, as brothers and sisters serving one big God. I see it. I love their vision. And then they brainstorm a little bit and they give us some practical ideas. Maybe here's some things our church could do specifically to push this cause further. I love it. These are just a few of the ways we could start to incorporate diversity in our, into our church. We appreciate your time and consideration to this topic. We can't wait to hear your thoughts. Oh, my goodness. We Zoomed together when they finished up their e-learning Friday afternoon. It was my day off, so we, I sat down in my basement. And uh, I was so excited to hear their stories. And I was reminded of a passage in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, which says, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together which is a picture of racial diversity, by the way. It's about more than that, but it's uh, pushing ahead to Jesus coming. It's a call to Christ, and a little child will lead them. That first part of that verse is about racial harmony, foreshadowing Jesus. And it's a reminder that age and gender should not limit legacy. The passage continues that we're studying. In Nehemiah, the valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. Then it tells us who rebuilt the dung gate. 
I'd like to camp out, if I can, just for a bit, at the dung gate. I bet it doesn't smell very good there. I couldn't resist. But seriously, it would not have smelled very good there. This is where the city's refuse would have flowed through. The dung gate was strategically placed right next to the Valley of Hinnom. We just saw that a bit ago. And it marked kind of the southern and the western edges of Jerusalem. The Valley of Hinnom was talked about all through Scripture. Get this. It was usually equated. There was an equal sign between that valley and sin. In the era of Israel's history, between when they were righteously following the the Lord and the times that they were not, there were awful things happening in the Valley of Hinnom, including things like child sacrifice. If you want to read about that, you could find that in 2 Kings chapter 23 or 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Jeremiah talks about it all through his book. The Valley of Hinnom. Jesus references the Valley of Hinnom. We know it as Gehenna in Jesus' day. And when he talks about sin, when he talks about hell, there's a decent chance he points to the Valley of Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, because of the detestable things that happened there. And it's a picture how if you live in sin, oh my goodness, you strategically are making decisions that will land you in hell. Here's the fifth coaching pointer I want to share with you. Jesus leaves a legacy, right? And his is yours when you, when you are his. And your actions, oh, they affect his legacy. The legacy that Jesus leaves behind is really designed to work in you and through you. Here's a picture of the dung gate modern day. It's been rebuilt multiple times since the time of Nehemiah. But you can enter still through the Dung Gate on that side of Jerusalem. And I look at that gate and this era where Nehemiah is rebuilding gates, and I'm reminded of Jesus who said this in Mark chapter 12. Actually, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all reference Jesus, quoting Psalm 118 when he says, Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders, we're talking about rebuilding, rejected, has become the cornerstone. Here's what's interesting. If you look that passage up in your Bible, depending on the translation you're using, it's possible that they translate this cornerstone. It's possible that they, they translate it keystone. It's possible that they translate it capstone. Why, why the difference? Well, because building strategies, building materials, shifted dramatically between the time Psalm 118 that Jesus is quoting here and the New Testament happens. You saw a picture of the broad wall. They're just stacking rocks up on the top of each other. A cornerstone would have been a big deal for that. Keystones and capstones in archways, well, they didn't come along until later. The Greeks were building, and then the Romans borrowed on that. And oh my goodness, when they rebuilt the Jerusalem during Jesus' era, this is what would have been seen when you walked through a gate. There would be a cornerstone. There would be a keystone. There would be a capstone. And so linguists were kind of stuck with this, well, what do we use here? Because building materials have changed. And the way we describe this, is Jesus the foundation that your life is built on? Yes, he should be. Is Jesus the keystone? Is he what's holding the whole thing up together, all the supporting parts brought together? Yes, the answer to that is yes, he should be. Is he the capstone? Is he making everything pretty? When people look at you, they see Jesus. Yes, yes, and yes. That's what he's designed to be. So right now, 
Before we go any further, we're going to take a moment and examine our lives. If you're new around here at Adventure, we do this every week because it's so important to focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus, the cornerstone, the keystone, the capstone. So right now, would you examine your week, your life over the last week? Look backwards so that you can look forward. We're talking about legacy today. Are there some things in your life this past week you need to confess? Some sins that are separating you from God, some sins, actually, they're going to hurt your legacy. I'm going to invite you right now as you bow your heads and you close your eyes, as you grab those communion elements, as you pull them out, I'm just going to give you some space. I'm going to pray and then start a moment of reflection and you spend some time with Jesus, the cornerstone, the keystone, the capstone. Confess what needs to be confessed. Beg for forgiveness in the places where you need forgiveness and feel his grace and his mercy washing over you. Then we're going to respond with worship going to wrap this message up. Let me start it right now. Jesus, as we bow our heads, as we close our eyes, we confess what needs to be confessed, and we spend time with you, our God, right now. I love that song that we just sang. I like the songs we sang right before it. But do you ever feel like you're lying to God? I give my life. I give my all. And the song before that, Jesus, all to you I surrender. All. Why don't you have a seat? I want to apply. I mean, we've, we've sung worship to God. We've opened up the text. We've read it together. But what good is that if we don't do something with it, right? If we don't apply the truth that God gives us so that we can live it out well in obedience to him. Does anybody know that I was here? I think that's the question that legacy asks. We've been talking today about how do you leave a legacy. Does anybody know that I was here? How will I be remembered? I told you at the beginning of the message about a trip I took over Christmas time. And I told you about meeting one of the custodians and the superintendent of the schools. I actually snapped a photo in the office. I went in to buy some Cobden swag. So I've got it now. I've got some apple knocker swag. I've got that hat right there. And it's awesome. Then on the way home, I was walking back, walking the route that I walked as a child. My childhood, you know how we walked up 
hill both ways. That was me walking back home. And along the way, I felt this compulsive need to touch stuff. This is the door, the seed corn company. We bought stuff there. My mom would go in there and shop for a seed for the garden. And I would play across the street. I touched that door. And then I'd go across the street and play in the playground while she was shopping. And I remember touching that as a child. I felt this compulsive need to touch it as an adult. On the walk home, I'm touching places that were meaningful to my walk home. I remember that root ball from when I was a kid. I just wanted to reach out and touch it. Maybe I'm touching the past so that I could touch the future. I don't know. The question is, how do we leave a legacy from this era that we're all living through right now? I bet Nehemiah thought about this. Nehemiah, oh, Jerusalem had a rich history. Some amazing things had happened in Jerusalem, but God called Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem. Why? Well, so that he would get the glory. And because God wasn't done doing things in and through Jerusalem, Jesus and our redemption story comes through that location. And Nehemiah, oh my goodness, did he leave a legacy. So real quick, let me hit you. If you want to leave a legacy for God, can I just challenge you with three quick action steps as you leave here this day and you go out to live your life with God, ask yourself the question, are you doing these things? We see Nehemiah do it. He left a legacy. You want to leave a legacy for God? How about this? Number one, spend time with God. All to Jesus I surrender. I give you all. All? What's your calendar look like this week? If you've been tracking along in this series, remember, before Nehemiah launched his grand plan, before the strategic plan, before the action step of beginning to build the walls that we looked at today, he prayed. He spent probably between three and five months just with God, pouring out his heart before God. You want to leave a legacy for God? Are you spending time with him? Number two, share him with others. Oh, my goodness. Nehemiah was pre-Jesus, of course, but he shared the things of God with others. And as we saw this week and as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, he recruited a whole bunch of people on mission because he was on fire for God. Are you sharing Jesus with others? Romans chapter 10, verse 14 puts it very bluntly. And how can they believe in the one about whom they have not heard? Why have they not heard? Have you told them? about him? Are you infectiously sharing your love with Jesus this week with everybody you bump into? Who's your one? Who's the person you're investing in right now that you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you pray for them? You feel for them because you know that they are far from God and you know they're going to be spending an eternity far from God. Are you spending time sharing what you know? You want to leave a legacy? That's a good action step. Number three, this is so important. Practice what you preach. If I read one more article about a Christian, and we know about prominent leaders because we know of them, but they shoot themselves in the foot because they don't practice what they preach, and it blows up in a big way, and the cause of Christ is hurt because of it. If I read one more story like that, it breaks my heart to hear that. Are you practicing what you're preaching.
When people look at you, do they see Jesus? You want to leave a legacy for God? Spend time with him. Share him with others. And oh my goodness, practice what you preach. Would you stand up with me right now? I want to pray us out of here, and I hope you walk out with those action steps on your heart, on your mind, as we seek to live our lives for Jesus this week. Put those into practice. And like Nehemiah, let's just see what he can do in us and through us as we seek to leave a legacy of faith. Would you bow with me? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and to worship. And Lord, I pray that it changes us to be more like you are, God. So as we leave this space, as we go out into the mission field that you have called each and every one of us to, use us to push your kingdom forward. Because we don't want our legacy, but Lord, we want a legacy for you that endures. And let us be a part of it. It's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Adventure. We'll have, have a great week. We'll see you back again next Sunday.